Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. This is the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this episode, we're discussing how to teach form. show today, lovely teachers, we're joined by Carmen Carpenter, who's one of our staff writers and editors at Vibrant Music, and we're going to be chatting about how to teach our music students about form. So, Carmen, let's start with why. Why do we need to teach them about form? Does this matter? Oh, absolutely. I think form, <laughs> it does matter for sure. So, I, well, I like teaching form, I have to admit. It's just fun for me to teach form. And so that's a lot of the reason why I think it's important, just because I like it. But no, it is important because it does give the big picture. I think if you don't have a big picture idea, the layout of a piece of music, it's just a lot more challenging and just a lot more overwhelming when you can break it down into sections that make it manageable for your students. I think it's so helpful for them to see that, oh my gosh, that A section is the same over here. So I've learned half of my piece already. I think that there's a lot to that that just makes it so much easier to to look at a piece, a new, particularly a new piece and be like, oh, oh, that's great. I can do this. Yeah, yeah. I particularly love that. I mean, I love that with all pieces, making sure they know like, Oh, this part is a repeat. So you've got half the work you think you do. But it's especially for me, the first time they learn like a sonatina or a first movement of a sonata or something like that, something, some simple first encounter with sonata form. And they just go, oh, (laughs) they realize what's going on. Because it looked like this huge piece when they watch someone else play it. And then it's not half what you think it is. Yeah. Right. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And especially when they move from like playing those one page pieces to two or three and they're like, oh, my gosh, you want me to learn this? And you're like, but wait, look at this and look at this and these repeat. And and then they can go, oh, oh, I can do that. So, yes, I think that knowing that and, and certainly knowing the form helps with memorization again, because, you know, the layout And if you've memorized that A section, then you just come back to that A section again. And it, you know, you aren't starting all over again, reinventing the wheel, so to speak. Absolutely. So if you had to guess, how do you think most teachers are teaching form? 
What do you think that looks like in our lessons? My guess is that a lot of us just go, here's the A, here's the B, here's the A. Ta-da, we're done, right? And, and that's fine. It's quick and easy. You know, if you're limited on time and most of us feel like we are, then yes, that is the quick and easy way to teach form. But it, it isn't going to make them be able to eventually look at their piece and figure that out for themselves. And that's what we want, right? We want to work ourselves out of jobs, right? We want them to be able to see for themselves, oh, I see that this part repeats now. And so hopefully if we teach it in a way that is engaging and helpful, then they'll begin to see it for themselves or, or at least be able to hear it when you demonstrate a piece or you, you play it or you play a recording of it, that they'll be able to be like, oh. And I do have some students that instinctively, if I say after a piece, what did you notice? They will say, oh, well, there's a lot of repeats to that. And then you can go, oh, you're right. Let's look at that and work through it together. Yeah. And others will go, huh? <laughs> if you okay. say, what did you notice? So the, they need a bit more hand-holding through the process. Oh, yes. Yes, that is true. Or even if you ask, what does that remind you of? And they're like. Yeah. And sometimes that's just because they were thinking about a pizza party instead of listening to you. So <laughs> you need to be careful with how you set up the listening as well. But that's a whole other discussion. I liked what you said there about, you know, a teacher just saying there's A, there's B, there's A. That's not really teaching is essentially what we're talking about. I mean, you said teaching it that way, but it's not really teaching, is it? It's just telling someone. So what we're trying to do is really teach it in a way that gives them the skills to tackle in the, fu in the future. So mm. let's think about some of those creative ways we can do that. How about using movement to teach form? How could we do that? Well, that's why I like it. That's what I love about form is I like to get moving and... I think that there's a lot of ways to do it. Certainly you can do choreography. I mean, or if you don't want to go that far, you could make it super simple. You could just do, let's clap the A section and let's snap on the B section or whatever it might be. Or even just as simple as we're going to listen. And when you hear the music change, you know, shake your hands in the air or, you know, whatever it might be movement wise, but it could be grand as well. I did a, a group lesson, a large group lesson, and I centered it around form. And so we were able to do a parachute. And that is super fun for everybody. And again, it can be simple. We're just going to wave up and down for this one. And then we're going to do swishy, swishy, side to side on the B part, you know. And so that can be simple. Scarves are fun. Wave your scarf up high on this part. Wave it down low on the next part. And, and so, yeah, using some of those kind of tools are really fun for kids. And they just create a sticky point for them, right? Remember how we did that? Well, that's called form. And, you know, you have form in the simplest of your pieces. You know, you have 16 measures and there's an A and there's a B. And so yeah. helping them to connect the two, I think movement does that really well. I think it does. And I love this idea. I feel like I don't do this enough. And as you were explaining it and I was reading your article, I was thinking this could be great as the opposite as well. 
by which I mean those students who have trouble really listening when you say demonstrate or play a track or a YouTube video or whatever of a new piece they're about to learn and mm. you want them to spot that repeating part. Well, you could just do one action and tell them to copy you, switch your action in the B section and switch it back mm -hmm. for the A section and ask them when did those switches happen? What was happening in the music so that they can spot for themselves mm -hmm. and kind of figure out what form is, puzzle it out for themselves. I think that could be really fun too. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because anything that they figure out for themselves is going to make the learning stick so much better than if you just, again, just tell them, here's the A, the B. And, you know, if you're more comfortable that it's like clapping and then tapping on your knees, that's fine. Or if you want to be goofy like me and Carmen, you could do some crazy actions for those for two. It could be like a Mexican wave with your arms for one and then like a 70s boogie thing for the other or whatever. Yeah. So you could really have fun with it. And with your wiggly students, you could do much bigger movements to actually get them up and moving around a lot more. Definitely. Okay, so what about having them discover it for themselves through guided listening? How can we, other than movement help our students to listen to pieces and figure out for themselves what the form is. For that, I do think you can, again, go quite simple and kind of sit and listen and just tell them ahead of time to when you hear that the music sounds different, when it feels like it really changes. Now, sometimes that can be difficult because some of them will be like one measure in and be like, oh, it's different now. You know, yeah. so you don't like to preface it with, now, it's not going to change real fast as, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time. And then when it has a much bigger change, then raise your hand. And so I do think you have to start with that, though. You, you have to start by telling them the music is going to change so that they're aware that they need to be listening to, for the change. I think that's important for priming the pump a little. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, like with walking around in life, there's so much of the world that kids haven't seen before. So you have to mm -hmm. guide them with what they're looking for, you know, as if you're doing scavenger right. hunt. So the same thing with their ears. Like, this might be the first time they're hearing so many of the different things that are going on here. Whereas right. we're hearing, that's like a scale bit and that's doodly-doo, you know. Yeah, it's a lot right. different as a listening experience. So we need to be setting up for them. This is the element we're listening to this time so that they feel more confident giving you the answers at the end as well. Yeah, oh, definitely. And there, you know, yeah, listening wise, there's lots of different things that you can do. You can, you could guide them towards like the dynamics. The dynamics are going to change. You could guide them towards like the articulation, right? It went from staccato kind of choppy to a legato section you know and so guiding that helping them to hone in on those things those specific things will also help them to hear the layout of the piece yeah absolutely so what about through composing then this is one of my favorites and i know you love to do <laughs> it too how can we teach form through having our students compose music well, again, I think, you know, it's that self-discovery, right? That, okay, so you're going to create eight measures of whatever music. And then, you know, I want you to add 
another section, you know, and you can make it story related, like you're going to add, you know, another adventure to the story or whatever it might be so that they begin to understand that it has to be different, but related. You know, I think that's the hard part with composing Mm -hmm. when you have them compose another section is you can't like write a whole new song. It has to be related in a way. And so helping them to kind of understand what what kind of things can be related to each other. Or, yeah, I mean, like building contrast, though. You know, you had this section, it was nice and bouncy, but now you're going to make something that's similar but has a legato to it. And so I think that composing adds this just a much deeper, richer understanding. And then also it creates almost like a, oh, like simpatico with a composer. Like they, because they have composed, Mm. then they can see that in another composer's work. Well, I did this with mine and I see they did that same thing with theirs. Yeah, absolutely. They can get inside the process. Mm. It's interesting you brought up like making this different B section. I do think that's one of the things that they can get an enormous amount out of by doing like the structure that we follow for a lot of our composing projects where they do an A and then a B and then they put them into a form basically in a lot of our projects. And I love that the B section makes them think about what makes this sound like it's still part of the same piece, but doesn't go so far that it's actually just A1, you know, (laughs) it's actually just a variation. So how can I find that balance that they, you know, sound like they go together? And some students get that instinctively right away you just say it's going to be like a cousin to this one and off they go and others need a lot more coaching on that i find one of the best exercises though if you have students that are struggling on that is just like question and answer as i call it where call and response where you're doing a little phrase and they have to answer it because it just gets this sense of how things can be related like and you can do the reverse as well so they can hear you do it where you copy a bit of the rhythm, but you change the melody or, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah, definitely. And I think little motifs are also nice if they have some sort of motif in their A section that sort of repeats. And then maybe it just makes a small appearance in yeah. the B section. It, and that helps to bring the pieces together, too. Yeah, absolutely. So finally, then back to pieces other people have written. You talked a little bit about using color to mark out their score. What way have you done that? Well, what I do is I have them make boxes around the similar sections. I don't like them to completely color it in because some kids would go nutso with your highlighters. But also just because it's just a lot then. But yeah, we'll, we'll make a box. You can make a box around the same sections if it's an advanced student where it's a much longer section, the box is probably not going to work, but you could still use stickers or you could, because, you know, older kids like stickers too, you know, or you could just have them make, okay, I'm going to make a red triangle for the A section. I'm going to make a yellow circle for the B or whatever it might be that you kind of tag it with some, some color. And, you know, I read or heard somewhere, brains like color. Your brain likes color. And and so helping them to see those sections too. And just that reminder, again, that makes everything calm and smooth. Ooh, here comes that yellow star. 
I can relax now. Yeah. I think going back to at the start, we talked about this helping with memorization. I think that's where color can really be very useful as well. Like having students map it out with color or if you want to use stickers, like little labels for each section, whatever, because then mm-hmm. they can practice writing that out on another piece of paper or drawing the boxes of color. Well, and then they have that. Often students who are really, really resistant to playing from memory or really uncertain about it, underconfident, letting them play just with a page that just has their like six boxes of different colors that was our system helps them feel a lot more comfortable, even though it has no musical information whatsoever. It just helps them feel like I know where I am Mm -hmm. and I can relate it back to the score. So it's a good kind of intermediate step, I find. Right. Oh, yeah. That's a great idea. I've never tried that. That's awesome. Well, you can try it out. <laughs> Works well for some I, students. Well, that's fantastic. What a great idea. So, yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's really interesting. One of the things that I read, I did a lot of reading about memorization. We have, you know, you've probably done this where you go into a room to get something. I'm going to go into the kitchen, open the fridge and get out the water. But from the living room to the kitchen, once you pass through, you don't remember what you were in there for. And so there is something to that. There's something to our brains that when we get to a new room, Mm -hmm. our brain kind of has to reshuffle and it like starts again kind of reboots, so to speak. And that's why you forget what you went in there to get. And I feel like there's a relation to music that's like that, where I don't know about you, but you know, you can point out to your student, line one is the same as line three, but line three, they can't play it. And it's like going through that doorway, right? Like their brain has to reshuffle. So I think anything that we do to help their brain to go, yes, this is the same yeah. so that it doesn't restart after every line or every section, I think that would is helpful to the process. And I think learning that form and really making that sticky for them is really helpful. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. It's the worst I find the remembering thing, especially when I was a teenager for some reason, with going upstairs. If you go from one floor to another, that's like an even bigger reset. Your brain just, you will right. never remember what you're supposed to get. Then you come back downstairs and be like, my shoes! And you go back upstairs. Yeah. So frustrating. But yeah, I love that tip. And I think, yeah, they're, they're both pink or something might help their brain. So I'm going to experiment with that. I have been known when students do that, with a piece they know otherwise quite well, I have been known to just tell them to look back at line one. Like, mm-hmm. you know right. they're the same. So will you play line one, line two, and then a repeat of line one, and let's just see what happens. And it's perfectly fine. And we're like, okay, right. we can overcome yeah. this. Let's just pretend. Right. Yeah. I tried to look up if there is an actual correlation between that doorway problem and musical issues i tried to find something that would you know clear up that my little theory there but i couldn't find any scientific evidence so that's just carbon science so there you go yeah i think there's a lot of merit to it like going from one line to another is often an issue which seems like a musical doorway and going from one page like a page turn is a bigger one Mm -hmm. where sometimes i do that i turn the page i'm like 
I suddenly don't know what I'm playing. It was definitely the same as the previous page. I need to go over this a little bit more. But yeah, it's an interesting theory. I like it. Oh, yeah. I wrote a little journal one time about the page two problem. So (laughs) So you may be seeing that later sometime. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we'll look forward to it. Okay. Thank you so much, Carmen, for sharing your thoughts about form. I think we've got some great ideas to teach it now. It's wonderful. My pleasure. So if you have a favorite way to teach form, we would love to hear it. Come share it with us in our community, in our Facebook group, which is Vibrant Music Studio Teachers. Vibrant Music Teaching membership costs less than the price of one lesson each month. That is totally worth it for all of the courses, games, resources, downloadables, printables that you can get access to as a member, as well as a fabulous community support you'll find inside. Go to vmt.ninja and become part of the revolution. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.